I'm sure you've been there where you're making money, life feels good, and all of a sudden you realize you didn't keep much of it. In this episode, we chat with Danai Escanavarino and we'll find out more on her story where she experienced the same thing. Need a judgment-free zone when it comes to your financial life? Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for today's Latina who typically thinks English but feels her Latina culture through and through. I am your host, Jen Hempel, and each week, we have down-to-earth money conversations from people in La Comunidad Latina that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. Lista? Let's do it. Hola, Reina. Hi, Money Queen. I have gotten so much great feedback on the name. So I love that you love it because I love it. So I hope you are doing well. This is Jen Hempel, your host. I am grateful that you chose this time to spend with me. And I'm excited for you to meet this week's Reina of Her Money. Danai Escanaverino is a Latina serial entrepreneur and CEO of Luna Sol Media, a boutique digital agency connecting clients to the Hispanic Latino market, a 20-year veteran of online marketing with several successful acquisitions under her belt. Danai has worked with brands like Hallmark, QuickBooks, T-Mobile, and Ford. After being frustrated with the current negative narrative about Latinos, Danai decided to use her strengths as an entrepreneur and marketer to launch two new ventures in 2018 to empower the professional Latino community and change the conversations. Thus, this was when Latina Meetup and Mira.click were born. In today's episode, she shares what immigrant thinking is and what she saw as a result, as well as what happened as an adult when she didn't know how to balance a checkbook and the time in her life where she realized she wasn't keeping as much money as she could have been and the B word that she feels we need to have more in our life. And I definitely agree with her. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer a Danai. Let's go meet Danai. Bienvenida, Danai. I'm excited to have you here. We got to meet recently at one of your events, and I finally get to have you on the show. So I'm excited about this. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it was awesome meeting you. We've been online buddies for I don't know how long. And then, you know, I followed you for quite some time. And uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, I'm excited because I've been following you as well. We've been stalking each other, I guess. <laughs> it's a mutual stalk. It is. It is. Stalk in a, in a good way, not in a negative way. That's right. Well, I'm excited for this because like, as I mentioned, I've been following you as well. And I'm so impressed with everything that you do. I went to one of your events, the Latina Meetup, and it was just so much fun. It was spectacular. So I'm ready to dig in to you and getting to know you. So you ready? Awesome. I am. I am. Thank you. Awesome. So let's start with your money story. Tell us going back to your childhood or maybe even as a kid or later on as adult, tell us about how you grew up with money, what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced that really has made an impact as to how you perceive and, and think about money today. 
Oh my goodness. It's a, it's a whopper. So we came here when I was almost five years old. I was like a couple of months away from being five years old. We were Cuban immigrants. My dad had been a political prisoner in Cuba when he was younger. So, you know, for our family, it was freedom, the American dream, you know, everything that that represented. What people don't talk about, I guess, a lot is that that comes with an immigrant thinking where you come from scarcity and then all of a sudden you come to a lot. You come to some, you come to a country where everything is plentiful, right? And even if you're poor, even if you're a poor immigrant, a poor immigrant here, is wealthy beyond compare when you're looking at somewhere like Cuba where you can't get anything. So when we came here, you know, I think my parents were just so overwhelmed that they would buy everything that they could afford. We always had a ton of food on the table. I mean, we had feasts. Clearly, I'm not the thinnest person on the planet. So, you know, that was part of it. <laughs> and we always had things, even though we weren't you know, we were poor working class people, we were poor immigrants. But you still can purchase things, you still can acquire things. And you always have food on the table, you know, and you have a place to live, you have shelter and things like that. So I think growing up, it was all about what we could buy what we could purchase, because we were coming from such scarcity, that there was never a conversation about saving, saving for college, saving for your future, what the heck is a 401k, anything like that. It just, it wasn't discussed. And you also really didn't discuss money with people. It was very taboo also in our culture. You just, you didn't discuss it. And anybody who was caught discussing money or talking about how well they were doing, you know, it was, uh, no era muy, um, it wasn't very well received. You know, the person wasn't looked upon as kindly as one would like. So the combination of money being a taboo subject and the scarcity that you come from, that then you're confronted with everything here. I think, you know, I grew up in a home where money was just not really a thing. It was just, you know, look, we can buy all this stuff. Let's buy whatever we can afford. And that was it. And so when I became, you know, an adult, I didn't know how to balance a checkbook. I remember my cousin took me when I was like, 19 years old to open up my first bank account. And like, she showed me the checkbook and, and, and that was because she was in banking. <laughs> and so she took me to buy my first car. I clearly got, you know, the snot taken from me in that deal. It was a horrible deal for me, but it was my first car. It was my first financial purchase. I wasn't educated about, you know, interest rates and the financing process and all of that stuff. So I definitely stumbled my way through learning finances. When I got my first credit card, I was like, holy cow, me están dando dinero for free. And that's exactly how I treated it. I treated it like this thing where somebody gave me free money. I remember I immediately went with my friends and bought us all a parasailing session at the beach. <laughs> sailing sessions. I'm not, I, oh, I've balling. never really lived I bet. And I've never lived by the beach, but I can imagine it's not necessarily cheap. <laughs> no, no. It was in Miami. It was in the 90s. And I think it was like a hundred bucks each person. And so I, I must have dropped like $500 of money that I did not have, nor had any intention of paying back because I just didn't know. I was that naive about it. So I was, however, very entrepreneurial. My big brother and I, God rest his soul, 
I mean, we were entrepreneurs since we were little. We would go door to door and sell whatever we could find, whatever we could make in the projects that we grew up in. You know, we did everything at junior high. We would like buy donuts and then resell them or buy candy and resell it. And that's how we would make money to, you know, go on our field trips and things like that. So we were definitely entrepreneurial. And the good thing is that we both knew how to make money. We just didn't know how to retain it, how to reinvest it. So our first couple of business ventures, you know, we did great. We made money, but we didn't understand, oh, okay, you have to reinvest some of that money you make in order to keep the business growing and keep the business going. So we both found a lot of great success. He got married and he went a different route. And luckily for him, his wife happened to be in banking. And her parents were very, very um, financially savvy, and they knew you know, a lot about how to invest your money, how to save your money, all that stuff. So he did well. I got married, and my wonderful husband, who I love dearly, came from the same background that I did. <laughs> I love how you put it, who I love li- dearly. He is, he is the love of my life, but you know, we were awesome. both perdidos. And so again, you know, in business, I did great. I made a lot of money, but as fast as it came in, it went out. So I wanted to ask you, so because I feel like I'm seeing some theme or or maybe a trend. So just based on your money story, because you came from a mentality of scarcity, right? And then your parents, you found that your parents, once you immigrated to the U.S., you found your parents uh, buying, like pretty much providing what they weren't able to provide in Cuba. And do you feel that that was a part of the push to become entrepreneurial? Because you saw, well, they're providing and the way to provide is we need to make money. Do you feel that was a part of it? That's very interesting. I never thought about it that way. I have always felt that an entrepreneur is born that way. It's just something in you mm-hmm. drives you to do things a little bit differently, where you want to create businesses, you want to you know, create industry, you want to invent stuff. That could have been part of it. I don't know. That's something to think about. It may have been because it sounds like you know, that could be clearly something that pushes you to want to continue to make money. I was um, curious. I always dissect that. (laughs) (laughs) For us, uh, for my brother and I, it was kind of like the thrill of figuring stuff out and figuring out how to make it successful. It wasn't really about the money, especially when we were little. The money was the fun part or a fun thing that happened as well. But for us, it was just like it, it was this thing where we were creating something. We were figuring things out. We were hacking the world. And, you know, we got something out of it. So, yeah. But that could very well be one of the things that influenced us. Absolutely. Interesting. So you were very entrepreneurial. Love it. And you found yourself at a time where you were making money, but then the money would disappear. And But you did make some changes. What was maybe an event in your life that led to that change to instead of just making money and just not paying attention to it? What happened? What was the impact that made you change where you were more conscious of that money coming in and managing it? Sure. So in our 30s, we realized we had a kid who was about to go to college. We had another one who was little. 
we had a tremendous amount of money owed just in like mortgage and cars and things. And it was overwhelming to know that we were constantly responsible for all of these bills, but we didn't have anything put away. We didn't have a safety blanket. And that's when we really started, you know, sitting down and saying, we have to get educated because we can't keep this cycle up. You know, I'm sure we've got, you know, maybe a good 20 years in us of still being entrepreneurs and being successful and stuff. But what happens if something, you know, goes crazy tomorrow? What happens if, you know, the industry that we're in completely changes and we don't figure out how to keep up in enough time? You know, because sometimes that's what happens is, you know, you have a business, things change, the market changes. And if you have enough put away to support you and to support the endeavor, you can take your time figuring things out until you figure it out to become successful again. That's what happens with restaurants. Restaurants have a failure rate of like, I think, 80 or 90%. It's because they don't have enough money to pull them through the, those first two years of making nothing. And that ha- it's not just restaurants. Most businesses fail because of that, because there's, mm-hmm. not, um, there's not a plan and there's not enough money, enough resources to support you until you're successful. And so we really, you know, we sat down and we started um, making changes and we started having a real honest to goodness budget that we adhered to. And uh, making those kinds of changes, those things are life changing because it takes this weight off of you where you feel like you can breathe and you feel like you can work better, smarter, harder because you're not in this like crisis mode where you're always worried you know, you make better decisions, you're more thoughtful. And so mm-hmm. for us, that's really what it was. It was like just taking a look at our lives, you know, realizing we had one kid about to ship to college and another one that we were going to have to get ready for college as well. And um, yeah, it made us make the changes we needed to make. Awesome. And did you follow guidance from a certain money expert or did you just dig into books and just kind of whatever felt resonated with you and made sense for you, that's what you followed? Or what was your approach? With so we change? did a little bit of both. Dave Ramsey, of course, you know, was a big influence. He really, he's just very down to earth in the way he explains things. And so he, he's just very clear, very concise about what you need to do. And we did a little bit of that. But then we also put our own twist to it because obviously we still had to, for the business, entertain people a lot. And so we couldn't not have, you know, a budget to go out to eat and a budget to go out and do things and to travel. It was a business expense, but it was still something that we had to kind of tweak for for ourselves. So that was one of the big differences. But we tried to adhere a lot to the Dave Ramsey system. Love it. Love it. And I love that you said you tweaked it and you didn't... Uh, wait for someone to tell you, oh, you can tweak it. You had confidence in yourself. Because that's, that's, I see this time and time again, where, and actually I was guilty of it, where I would follow an expert and follow their advice, right? But something wouldn't work for me. And it's a matter of just standing on your two feet and having that confidence in yourself and not fearing money and knowing that I can figure this out to my situation because the experts are speaking to the masses. They're not speaking to your individual situation. So that I love that you're just like, okay, we have this business and this part of Dave Ramsey's advice works for us, but we have to make some tweaks to make sure that it works for our personal situation, our business Absolutely. and everything. 
Love it. Love it. So, and I'm also curious, so you've been entrepreneurial for all your life and you've done all sorts of different businesses, but now you are, for a while, you've been in the digital space, if you will. I'm using the right Yeah, yeah, I have been. I've been uh, in digital marketing for almost 20 years, since 1997. Uh, No, it's been more than 20 years. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's been 20 something years and I love it. I absolutely adore it because the geek in me gets to really, you know, learn. You have to be willing to change and learn new technology all the time. time. And yeah, I mean, colleges can't keep up. When you get a digital marketing degree, you're probably, you know, five years behind of what really is happening. I talk to people all the time that are in school. And I'm like, listen, you just have to follow these blogs and read this stuff and, you know, keep yourself up to date because you're not going to get it in school. Right. But yeah, I digress. But I've been doing it for over 20 years. I started right out of college and I started doing search engine optimization when you could just like submit a bunch of keywords to Yahoo because Google didn't exist. And I know I'm like a dinosaur. and. you would show up for those keywords. Like that was as difficult as it was. And I stayed with it. And, you know, I kept on it as things changed, even before social media came about. And I worked for a few startups and really learned a lot there, learned a lot about the startup culture. I learned about, you know, mergers and acquisitions. And that was a heck of an education there. And yeah, I loved it. I've always loved it. I went on my own again. In uh, about 10 years ago, I wanted to have my own agency. I just, I didn't want to be part of a huge company anymore. I really wanted to do my own thing, have my own team, and just have a different company culture. And uh, we've been able to sustain that for 10 years. We're doing great. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And I love it. And I see myself continuing to do it for a long time. Love it. So with your digital marketing agency, you also have some the Latina meetup events. Yes. And then you have Mira Click. So that is more Latino focused. But is your digital marketing digital yes. marketing agency also mar- uh, Latino focused? So when yes. what brought you, what drew you to having it be Latino focused? So when I was working in the startup industry, you know, I just saw the Latino market as this thing that was so lucrative. And people would listen to me here and there, but they weren't making the investments that I thought, you know, really needed to be made. And that was one of the reasons why I went on my own. And when I went on my own, I did that. I focused on the Latino market online and uh, we worked with clients who were looking to access that market. And it's just amazing. It really is amazing. You know, the creativity that you can use because we're not just one people. You know, we have the millennials, we have the Gen Xers, you know, we have the baby boomers, all very, very different. We have, you know, Mexican-Americans who are very different from your New Yorkans, who are very different from the Cuban-Americans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Colombianos. <laughs> los Colombianos, los Hondureños, like it's so many different cultures. And then you have, 
people who are first generation or second generation, new immigrants, people who are Spanish dominant, people who are bilingual dominant, (laughs) you know, Spanish. So there's so much to it. And it's so interesting and fun. And just explaining all the different options that you have to an advertiser is just, you know, it blows their minds because they're like, oh, I just thought I had to translate my website into Spanish. (laughs) And uh, one thing that just stuck with me recently, I was at an event and that's why I've made the change because I started doing Herdineros as more of a Spanish podcast. And it, there was an event, someone was saying, well, th- it was Latinos. It was more of a Latino community there. And they were talking about how even Latinos living in the U.S., they Google in English. So I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Because when I think to what I Google, it's mainly in English, unless I'm, I don't know, thinking in Spanish. But it just depends on the day. But mainly I Google in English. So therefore, I'm like, it makes more sense if I do the podcast in English with Spanish thrown in <laughs> in between, because the, at least the audience or the listener that I'm attracting and hopefully you listening is, is this person, is that person, that Latina that mirrors you and I, right? That are Latinas Absolutely. that may or may not, may or may not speak Spanish, but they've been in the U.S. for a while. They are acclimated to the U.S. culture, to the system and all that. And that's who I'm reaching. So it just made more sense for me to do it more in English with some Spanish (laughs) thrown in there. So I love it. So with this uh, Latino focus uh, businesses, you also are in touch with a lot of Latinas. And of course, you and I know the talent, the skills that in, in general we possess is mind blowing. Like the Latinas that I'm like, you do what? Oh my gosh. Like you, for example, oh, <laughs> it's mind blowing. So what, of course, there's that gender gap or the Latino gender wage gap, which is the biggest. What do you think uh, holds us back from um, making more uh, money and doing more with our dinero? What do you, th- what are your thoughts on that? Okay. So, and my thoughts might not be the most popular, but they are my honest take. You need to take it. You need to command it. You need to ask for it. I've never had a problem, you know, when I've worked for other people asking for what I knew I was worth. And we're not taught that, obviously. It's changing. The culture's changing, thank God. But me growing up and me being a young woman when I was, when, when I was in the workforce, I, I just assumed that people were going to pay me what I was worth. I think that came from my brother because he was very supportive of me and he was always like, you know, pushing me and egging me on and sis, you got to do this and sis, you got to do that. And he didn't treat me like a girl. So I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, he was awesome. But, you know, I think he was, he was, Uh, but I think we just don't expect to be paid what we're worth. It's like, we don't believe in it. Like it's some kind of pie in the sky thing that we can't access. And that's not true. You tell somebody what you want, they're going to give it to you if they feel that you're worth it. You know, to do that, you have to believe that you're worth it. You just have to. And even if you want to fake it till you make it, you just have to fake it because nobody's going to come out. There, there is zero manager or zero boss that's going to come out to you and say, hey, let me pay you the absolute most I can pay you <laughs> right. without you asking me for it. 
Nobody's going to do that. Nobody wants business. to part with their money or with the company's budget. Exactly. So you have to ask for it and you have to, you know, set the stage that you're worth it and that they're not going to acquire you or obtain you if they don't give you what you want. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, I wanted to get into now our monthly thing, which is love and money. And you are married. Yes. And I would love for you to tell us your best tips for handling money with your spouse. Uh, I know you are both uh, work together, right, in the same business. Uh, so if you could tell us, like, maybe how it started off uh, in the marriage and what has worked, what hasn't worked, maybe some challenges that you face and how you have fixed that in terms as, as a couple in managing your money together. Okay, so I think the first thing is you have to have uh, unlimited trust, right? And you have to be able to trust this person because this is your life partner. And so trust is the number one thing. The second thing is know your weaknesses, right? So, you know, one of my weaknesses is I hate paying bills. I told you that was a theme from when I was younger where I got a credit card bill and I was like, eh, it'll, it can wait. <laughs> so, you know, I really, really hate paying bills. So, I let him pay all the bills. He's great at it. He's on top of it. We then discuss them and we talk about stuff and we go over, you know, what's gone out, what's come in, where are we financially? So we're both on the same page and we both come up with a plan and we both adhere to the plan, but he does pay all the bills, not because I'm not capable, but because I hate it and I don't want to do it. And I know it's one of my weaknesses, so I choose not to, you know, so that in, in, in our specific situation, that's something we do. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have access to everything, know all of your passwords, you know, log in and check on things yourself because you do have to have access to everything. But you can, um, you know, delegate jobs and that's perfectly fine. And I find that that has worked really well for us because anytime it was on me, it was frustrating because I just wouldn't get it done. So when we put everything on him and he handles that part of the business and I handle other parts of the business, that's been a lifesaver. And in our home business, in our, you know, what we like to call the family, <laughs> la familia, you know, he handles that as well. He pays the bills and then we go over everything and we establish budgets and we work through our budgets and things like that. Love it. So you have the conversation put Absolutely. a plan together, right? And then from there that you both have inputs in, which is key, which I love. And then you acknowledge what you're good at, what you don't like. And then from there, you decide who takes on what role. And I loved, love that you share that with us because it's, it is very helpful instead of, you know, keeping quiet and I don't know if I should, you know, I should participate in this. You both need to be in the know. The more yeah, you're I in know, the know. I'm, I'm freely open with the fact that I suck at paying bills. <laughs> and it's okay. Because for me, it's I'm like, really it's good not at making it. I'm terrible, <laughs> terrible at paying the bills though. No, and it's completely okay. Because for me, it's like, it's not about doing, taking on all the roles with managing your money. It's about taking on the role that you're good at. Oh, yeah. And then your partner usually b tends to balance it out. If not, then there is a conversation to be had and you, you, you work through it, right? And you figure out a solution. So I love that you've had that conversation, you've made the plan and you figured out, you know, your skill sets, who should do what and who shouldn't. 
because that works. It makes life and marriage a lot easier. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. Thank you you for sharing that. (laughs) Now, let's get into the last part of the show, the newer part, which is I call the Chisme Express. And this is just Chisme in English is gossip, but it's we're not doing chisme in a negative tone because that's I'm not about that. But it's more in a positive, fun, and lighthearted way. And Danai doesn't know what five questions I'm going to ask her, so it's just some random facts. Uh, so you ready to do this? Ooh, should I be? <laughs> should I be scared? It'll be easy. <laughs> a little scared. Okay, hit me. All right. What is one item you could never live without? My phone. I can't live without my phone. I'm one of those people. I'm okay with that. I think that's a common one, right? <laughs> yeah. These days. Favorite part of our Latino culture? Oh my goodness, the resilience. Our resilience is something that you just, you have to be in awe of. You know, my parents mm-hmm. came over here and they busted their behinds. They worked so hard to make things happen and to, like I said, to give us a food, to give us the food and the shelter and everything. And I just, I never saw them call in sick. I never saw them not work hard. They really, really worked super hard. And, you know, my brother and I both, we've just had this work ethic that I'll I'll outwork anybody. And I think it (laughs) just comes from that immigrant culture, that resilience. Love it. How about the worst purchase you have made? You had a credit card, but I don't Ooh. know if it was at that time or maybe at a later time. You know, I'm going <laughs> I'm to say that it, I'm going to go back to the purchase of the uh, parasailing. That's what it was. Parasailing for my friends. Number one, I don't talk to any of those people anymore. One included an ex-boyfriend. So oh, that no. was a waste. <laughs> number two, really? Parasailing for five <laughs> people when you're 19 and like can barely make a car payment? <laughs> Oh, that's horrible. Oh my goodness. You live and learn. Yes. What would you rather dance? Salsa or merengue? Ooh. Hopefully you're a dancer. I love love to dance. I'm, I'm, I'm like that lady who, when there's a wedding, she does not leave the dance floor the entire night. That's me. Oh, Um, I'm the one that starts it off. Yeah. (laughs) And then the next morning I wake up and I'm dying and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not, you know, 18 anymore. But uh, I'm going to say salsa. Good. I love that. I love salsa (laughs) better. One thing that many people uh, may not know about you. One thing that people, oh my gosh. Uh, In my 20s, I was in a local rock band. And yeah, I know. Weird, right? And so I used to go to college full time. I used to work full time. And I would play in the band. I was the lead singer. I would play in the band for... You know, I think we did like Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday, we did a double header and then Sundays. So I was always exhausted, burning the candle at both ends. But yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) People don't know that. that (laughs) I love it. Rock band. And you still keep up that pace from what I'm seeing with the Latina meetup, with your agency, with the MiraClick. I don't think you stop. I don't. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I take some time to myself, obviously, because, right, you know, right, I don't right. want my kids to like have a non-existent mom and my family's my why it's the number one thing for me. So I do, you know, the difference is that now I do spend a lot of time doing family stuff and being with the fam, but yeah, I'm, I'm still nonstop. I don't know that that will ever stop. 
say, if it's a part of like who you are, yeah. nothing wrong with that, right? Well, and I, this has been so amazing. I love chatting with you. I love getting to know you better and everything that you shared today. So I appreciate your time and sharing with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a thrill and I loved hanging out with you. Wasn't Danai amazing? I hope you enjoyed her as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. You can connect more with her on her Instagram, which is danai.e. And I will make sure I put that in the show notes so that way you have the direct link. And from there, you're going to be able to connect with her with her fabulous businesses if that's something that you are interested in. And today's Reina of the Week. It is a new part of the show, as you know, or if you don't know, because it's the first time you're listening, this is where we recognize una mujer, one woman that has been working hard on becoming the reina of her dinero or the queen of her money. This week's reina of the week is Claudia. She is working what I have really loved and observed that she is working in her community with students to teach them financial literacy. So she has taken charge and and matters in her own hands within her community and actually the Latino community to teach youth about financial literacy. And of course, you know that I love hearing that. If you want to nominate someone who you feel should be recognized, please do submit your nomination over at jenhemphill.com forward slash reina of the week. This mujer can be anybody and doesn't have to be someone who is currently listening to this podcast. And as I mentioned, before, this person is just working hard to becoming the reina of her dinero. It doesn't mean they have it all together. And just spoiler alert, we don't all have it all together, right? We are constantly in progress. So it can be anybody that you have felt has inspired you or that you have observed really working hard and you want that person to be recognized. Definitely fill out the nomination. Now, let's move on to the Pregunta of the Week. So each week, cada semana, we ask a new question, which by answering it, you get the opportunity to unlock a bonus after answering four questions. Today's question is another just fun question, nothing to do with this month's theme of love and money. The question is, what did Danai consider the worst money spent? So it's a fun question. And not hard. These questions aren't meant to be hard. So I hope you go ahead and answer that. And to answer that Pregunta of the Week, you need a free account in the Her Dinero Matters Hub, formerly known as the Her Money Matters Academy. Please note, you already have a free account if you receive my weekly emails, have grabbed my daily money ritual PDF, or have made any purchase with me. All you have to do is just go to thehurtdineromattershub.com to log in or to reset your password, or you can start a free account if you know you're not getting my weekly emails by grabbing the My Daily Money Ritual over on that same website, which I will have linked in today's show notes. The Pregunta of the Week will be announced in each episode after you answer the four questions for that month. It will unlock a fabulous freebie for you. And no worries, you will get an email notification. You won't miss it. And the directions on where to go to download it is in that email. But I'm going to give you a hint. It's going to be in our fabulous Her Dinero Matters Hub. Now, this month's freebie is a PDF 
checklist to help you and your significant other mark off different areas in your financial life as you get them done to make not only your relationship so much easier, but your money as well. Again, to gain access to this month's freebie, you need to answer all four questions. If you are listening to this at a later date, you can still grab the freebie by answering the questions for the month's theme, which in this case is love and money. Next week, we're changing things up with our first ever Reina Crew episode where we have a panel of fabulous mujeres and we'll discuss this month's theme, Love and Money. It should be a good time. So stay tuned for that. That is a wrap for today. I want to thank Danai for joining us, for sharing her story, for sharing her tips. You can find out more about her and find out the links to directly connect with her over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 175. Also, don't forget if you love this episode or this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend, family member, coworker, or even a stranger. Nunca se sabe, you never know when someone is in pain in their financial life. Just a sheer sharing of this podcast or episode may be that push or inspiration they need to move forward. Until then, stay consistent on those money actions, on those habits that you're forming so you can not only be the reina of your money, but love your dinero more. You've got this. Tú puedes. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.